You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 213, Leadership Lessons from the Gospel of Matthew. You know, something I've been wanting to do for a while is to go through the Gospels and pull out some of the leadership lessons, some of the leadership principles and insights that are there. As a, as a biblical scholar and as a theologian, it's easy to just go to the, the Bible and just look for those uh, biblical principles, to look for the theological things, to see what God wants to say through His Word. And that is the primary purpose of His Word, is to speak to us and to reveal Himself to us. But I found that God is so good and He gives us some incredible leadership insights and principles in His Word, as we're going to see in just a few minutes. So we're, um, we're going to start with Matthew. Uh, before we jump in and deal with our, our three questions that we always deal with when we're, we're getting into a, a new book, before we do that, I want to let you know that this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by John R. W. Stott's incredible book, The Message of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, usually I share one of my books because hopefully you'll buy them and read them and, um, you know, really benefit from that. But, you know, um, this book on the Sermon on the Mount by John Stott um, is the most incredible book uh, on that powerful sermon that Jesus preached that I've ever read. In fact, uh, a number of years ago, I was leading a small group Bible study in which we took an entire year and worked through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And uh, one of the main texts that I drew from was John Stott's incredible book, The Message of the Sermon on the Mount. Check it out. It is powerful for individual study, for group study. There's a link in the show notes. And definitely check out this incredible book because it will give you insight into the words of Jesus like you've never seen before. Well, okay. We're going to jump into Matthew. But, of course, when we, whenever we look at a new book of the Bible that we haven't been talked about for a, re- for, 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 for a length of time, we always start off by talking about the author the audience, and then the text. The author of the Gospel of Matthew is Matthew the tax collector, also known as Levi the tax collector. And this is really a message in itself. This is a leadership message in itself, the fact that Jesus picked Matthew to be one of his followers. He challenged Matthew to leave 
his job behind. And of course, he was hated by his fellow countrymen because he worked for the government. He worked for the Roman government as a tax collector. These were the most hated people in Jewish society. They even had their own um, level of, of sinners. You had your regular sinners, you had your prostitutes, and then you had your tax collectors. They were at the bottom of the rung. They, they were just considered horrible people. And yet Jesus chose him to come and, and to follow him. The audience of Matthew. Well, Matthew, if you've read through the Gospel of Matthew, you know that Matthew, more than any other Gospel writer, shows us that Jesus was the fulfillment to the Old Testament prophecies. He was the fulfillment to the Jewish prophecies that were announcing the, uh, the, the Messiah. And over and over again, Matthew uses these words. This happened so that the prophecy might be fulfilled. And then he would give the whatever particular prophecy it was. So Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. His theme was to show them that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And of course, Jews today don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But Matthew's gospel, if they would just read it, Matthew's gospel is the clearest presentation and declaration of Jesus as the Messiah that will found. So it's written to show that Jesus was the Messiah, that he fulfilled the prophecies, and to help uh, Matthew's people, the Jewish nation, find faith in Christ. And then the text itself. What does Matthew write about? Well, as we see in just a minute, we're going to start digging a little bit into the Sermon on the Mount to find some leadership lessons. But Matthew organizes his gospel around five major discourses of Jesus, five blocks of teaching, if you will. And one of the things that Matthew shows us or, or, or tries to kind of hold up is that Jesus is the, the new Moses, if you will. Remember, the, the Jewish nation, Moses founded the Jewish nation. He led the people out of Egypt. The nation was founded, and the law was given through Moses. And it was given in five books, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So, in a sense, Matthew is trying to hold up Jesus as the, the new Moses. And he, he, he writes his book around five of Jesus's discourses. You know, we said that Matthew was a tax collector before he came to follow Jesus, so money was something he knew. Well, it's no surprise that he writes more about money than any of the other gospel writers. He includes parable after parable after parable about money and how it can corrupt us or how it can help us, how it can be um, something that, that, that harms us if we don't use it correctly, or how it can be something that can be used to build up the kingdom of God. And there's so many other awesome things that are in Matthew, but uh, we will build as we go along. One of his, his key things, and, and, and we see this, this goes along with the theme of Jesus being the Messiah, is over and over again, Matthew is wanting to show us what the kingdom of heaven is like. 
In fact, in, in chapter 13, when he has the great chapter on parables, he every parable almost, Jesus starts off by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then gives a parable to illustrate it. So Matthew is our author. He's writing to a Jewish audience. Our text is full of incredible things. But we said that he wrote around five of Jesus' discourses. Well, the first one is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this is Jesus' most profound sermon. Really, the Christian life in a nutshell in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the, the Sermon on the Mount is is prefaced or it's started by what we call the Beatitudes. And if you haven't read the Sermon on the Mount, you've probably still heard these phrases, these Beatitudes. I'm going I'm to read this. This is from the New Living Translation, and it's Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 10. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And then the last one, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then, so these are the, these are the Beatitudes. This is what Jesus starts his message with. And then he goes through and really, um, in a very real sense, expands on these things as he teaches. But I want to just start with these um, few things, these Beatitudes, and I want to look at them through the lens of leadership. What can we as leaders draw from these beatitudes? The first one, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Others translation other tra- translations say that um, God blesses those who are poor in spirit. I think if we were putting this in modern terms, we would we would say that blessed is that person who realizes they don't have it all together. That person who is, um, they understand that there are other people who have the answers as well. People who, um, you know, we'll talk about humility in a minute, but, you know, there is something powerful about someone who uh, really has been freed from their ego. Um, They're poor in spirit. They're humble in spirit. And they realize their need for God. We could also say in a leadership context, they also realize their need for others. You know, no leader can make it on their own. I mean, if if you say you're a leader, but you don't have anybody following you, you're just going for a walk. Leaders have followers, and we we must um, have them with us. The second one, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What does this mean? Well, you know, one of the things about leadership is being able to connect with and relate to the people who we are working with. You know, to me, one of the saddest things is when 
when I come across a fellow leader or somebody who's even in a position above me and they don't have the ability to, to empathize with those below them. Uh, I read a story recently of a woman who, who had suffered a traumatic loss in her family and um, was, was still away on bereavement leave. And she only was allowed three days of bereavement leave, which is pretty normal policy for most companies. But she was planning on taking one extra day. But before she could even call the boss and say, hey, listen, I need to take a, a day of personal time to go with my bereavement leave, he called and left a voice message. There was no, hey, I hope everything's okay. He just said, don't forget, you're supposed to be back at work tomorrow. You're only allowed three days of bereavement leave. Well, this is from one of his, his direct reports who had suffered a traumatic family loss and he didn't show up at the funeral. He, you know, didn't call to see how she was doing. It was just, you're supposed to be back at work tomorrow. You know, this is, uh, this is not the kind of <laughs> leadership that we want to see in the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. Blessed are those who are able to mourn with others. You know, there's something powerful when you're going through a personal crisis and the leader um, calls just to check on you, just to see how you're doing. There's something powerful that when you suffer a loss and you, you look out in the crowd and there's your boss sitting in the, the, the crowd for the, for the funeral. Um, there's something powerful that if you're dealing with health issues and the boss comes to visit you. And I get it. We're all busy and this can be uh, uncomfortable and cumbersome. But we're talking about kingdom leadership here. We're looking at the Beatitudes through the lens of leadership. Blessed God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. Can we mourn with those who mourn as well? And then it says God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. Look, we all have egos, but there's something, something very powerful about walking in humility and not feeling like we always have to prove ourselves. Have you ever had that boss who, no matter what you said, no matter what story you told, they always had to one-up you? I used to work with somebody like that, and no matter what somebody else in the room said, they had always done it bigger and better. And no matter what you had done, they always could top it. And, you know, this is a real lack of humility. And as leaders, we need to be able to walk in humility, elevate those around us. C.S. Lewis said, uh, humility is not thinking um, less about yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. In other words, it's not thinking that, 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 that I'm a bad person. It's not putting myself down. It's just thinking about myself less and looking for ways to elevate others. So God blesses those who are humble, but in a leadership position, how powerful is it when your boss, when your leader displays a genuine humility? When you come to them with an idea and, and they're willing to listen. When you come to them and, and say, hey, listen, I, you know, I need to to talk about something, and, and, and they're going to be humble enough to listen. Um, there's a real power in humility. The next one, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, 
for they will be satisfied. You know, we, we all cry out for justice. But you know, what about in the workplace? You know, what about, and you've seen it, you've seen some bosses who favor um, some people over others, and you see them getting special benefits, you see them getting, um, you know, special little perks, and you know, what do we think? Well, it's just not fair. Well, as a leader, we should be that person who knows how to bring justice, that person who knows how to be fair. It doesn't mean we don't have friends. It doesn't mean that, 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 that we there may be some of the people that work for us that we get along with better. That's cool. But as much as possible, we treat our people fairly. The next one, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, mercy is such a powerful thing. You know, we've all been in that situation at work where we've done something dumb, we've said the wrong thing, we've screwed up a report, we've maybe even cost the company money. And, you know, you might have been called on the carpet and just, maybe you maybe you were fired, maybe you were disciplined. And in some cases, those things are the right things to do. But you know, what a, what a refresh, ref, ref, refreshing blessing when you get called in to answer for whatever it was that happened and you're shown mercy. Man, when the boss is merciful, and this doesn't mean we're weak. You know, oftentimes mercy and weakness are kind of held up as like, that's not true. Mercy understands the person doesn't deserve it. In fact, if you can, if you deserve it, it's not really mercy. It's not really grace. But, but there is something powerful when, when somebody underneath us or somebody that works with us has just done something dumb. And as the boss, we realize that, no, you know what? We can fix this. And we end up showing them the mercy that they don't feel like they deserve. Mercy is a powerful thing. We love it when people show it to us. And as the leader, we need to extend it to those under our control, those who work with us. The next one, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Whose hearts are pure. You know, this word in the Greek actually means undivided. Um, Our hearts are undivided. You know, maybe you've had that boss who was kind of schizophrenic. You know, when you came to work, you weren't sure if you were going to have happy Joe or sad Joe. You weren't sure if you were going to have angry Joe or sad Joe. You know, we've all had those those, those bosses who, who, who were bipolar or schizophrenic, and, you know, you just never knew which way their emotions were going to swing. You know, the thing about having a pure heart is our hearts are undivided. We're we, we tend to be that same person most of the time. It doesn't mean things don't get to us. It doesn't mean we don't make a mistake and lose our temper occasionally. But most of the time, our people know what they're going to get. And this idea of having a pure heart also conveys a sense of integrity. Um, you know, we've all been through, and if you haven't, God bless you. But, you know, I worked for the government for almost 30 years, and I've had many, many friends in corporate America. And, you know, one of the things that you get put through periodically is sexual harassment training. We'd have to go in once or twice a year, and somebody from HR would come in and teach us about sexual harassment. 
And, you know, I told one of these people from Human Resources one time, you know, I could teach this block of instruction in about 30 seconds. And they looked at me and said, oh, you know, I had to go and get this certification, and I had to go to this class and look. All you do is you just tell people, you keep your hands to yourself, and you don't say anything to, especially of the opposite sex, that you wouldn't want anybody saying to your mother, wife, or sister. I mean, that's pretty much it. But yet, every day in the news, we hear about, you know, somebody being sued for sexual harassment, somebody in Hollywood, somebody in corporate America, even sometimes in the church, we see it happening, and it shouldn't be this way. You know, part of part of having pure hearts is we conduct ourselves with integrity, where our people know that our motives are pure, and we want to, you know, take care of them. We Obviously, we have a mission, but they also know that they can trust us. The next one, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Those who work for peace. Have you ever had that boss who just loved to stir up conflict? That boss who was always talking bad about management. That boss who was always talking about other bosses. That boss who was always talking about their people, the people below them or other people in the company. They were always stirring something up. You know, one of the things about leadership is when we can bring peace, we are really setting a great atmosphere for our organization. There's something wonderful about going to work and just being able to take a deep breath and knowing that there's no drama to speak of. Now, there's always going to be drama. When there's people involved, you can't help it. But as much as I can help it, as much as you, the leader, can help it, let's do our part to bring peace. We want to bring peace between our team members. Sometimes people just have personality conflicts. And if you let it go then you're basically condoning it. Um, I taught a seminar recently on leadership, and one of the questions that came up afterwards was, what do I do about team members that don't get along, that, that are always having conflict at work? And I said, well, that's, that's what leaders do. <laughs> that's, that's a leadership problem. You know, you can blame them, but in reality, if you haven't dealt with it, it's your problem. As the leader, you need to mediate. You need to sit down with them. You need to do what you can because if you don't, it's going to affect the whole team. And it may be that y'all may be able to talk through the differences or you may need to help somebody or even both go to other areas of the organization or maybe even find a job somewhere else because people that are bringing conflict and bringing their drama to work with them are going to eventually poison your team. So we need to be those men and women who work for And then the last one, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So what does that mean? Nobody wants to get persecuted, especially at work. But you know, if you think about it, this is not that far off. Have you ever seen when the the management of your company, um, in, in the police department, we would see it every now and then, where the brass would want a scapegoat? There was some something had happened, and they needed somebody to crucify. And I was always impressed by, by ser- several managers, and sometimes it was the end of their career, 
but they would stand up to the management and go, I'm not giving you a scapegoat. We didn't do anything wrong, and we we aren't going to throw somebody to the wolves just to satisfy um, whatever you think needs to be satisfied. And like I say, in many cases, it was the end of a career. I saw one person who was a, a sergeant in a very... Uh, prestigious position. He was working where he wanted to work, and something happened. A citizen complained. It was investigated. The officer had done nothing wrong. The evidence showed the officer had done nothing wrong, but the department still wanted a scapegoat. They wanted to persecute somebody. They wanted to be able to say, hey, we did something, and this sergeant said, you know what? My officers didn't do anything wrong. We're not going to do it. And so rather than going after them, they took this sergeant and transferred him to, a, to another place where actually they transferred him to the furthest precinct from his house. So, you know, from 10 minutes to work, now it's about an hour to work. Um, but I appreciated him being able to stand up and say, no, 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 we haven't done anything wrong. So sometimes as leaders, we may be persecuted for doing, doing right. But if it means protecting our people... What a great thing to stand for. Now listen, if one of our people does something wrong, we need to deal with it. We're not talking about covering up bad behavior here. That's part of a leadership role. We coach, we mentor, sometimes we have to discipline. But if they haven't done anything wrong, then we need to stand up for them. Well, I'm going to wrap this up now. I just want to read through this passage of Scripture again. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So these are the Beatitudes. We looked at them through the lens of leadership, and I'd love to hear what you think. Go to davidspell.com, drop me a message or a comment in the comment section for today's post. While you're there, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter. It's a great way for us to stay in touch. Well, friends, thanks for being with me. And until next time, this is David Spell encouraging you to continue leading strong. Thank you.